You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. The headlines in our industry today may not be the most encouraging. We've got tariffs, mandatory helmet laws, and and maybe even a little bit from Amazon. But these are the challenges that have always been there. In the 90s, it was mail order companies advertising in the back pages of bike magazines, or maybe the new big box retailer opening up next door. We are certainly living in a different time, but one thing is for certain, there is still competition. So today on Bicycle Retail Radio, I'm going to be talking with Stuart Hunter from Roll Bicycles, and we're going to steer clear of some of the doom and gloom and take a look at some of the opportunities today for specialty retailers. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning. How are you, Chad? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. The sun's shining. Uh, it's a crisp day, but, but a great one. So thanks for, uh, thanks for the opportunity to chat today. Yeah, I think the weather's just about the same here. It's, it's very, very crisp, a little crisper, I think, which means colder. <laughs> we spoke a few weeks ago, and you mentioned that there were lots of opportunities for specialty retailers. So I'd like to spend a little time today digging a little deeper into what maybe some of those opportunities are, or maybe some of the opportunities that you found that either lead to growth or, or maybe it's just profitability for you or specialty retailers. But first, I'd like our listeners to learn a little bit about you. So if you could, maybe like a two-minute resume of what you did before coming into the bike industry. Sure. So uh, uh, my background is actually in retail brand development. So I spent a number of years working with brands like Adidas and Target and Best Buy and Merrill Footwear and developing new retail stores and new retail concepts for, for folks like that. So my career was really based on how do we create compelling consumer-centric experiences and uh, became a passionate bike rider uh, while I was living in San Francisco and really saw an opportunity to translate some of our learnings from from working in other industries to how can we create something that is exciting and compelling for customers in bicycle retail. And so that's really where, where role comes from, this idea that uh, can bikes be as thrilling and as exciting for the general population as they are for the enthusiasts. So with that experience, I actually remember when you guys opened your store. I don't remember the year, but I was doing a little bit of work for Smart Detailing, and I I immediately fell in love with some of your digital media, your website, the imagery, the branding. Maybe had a little bit of crush on your brand. I'll admit that. But as a consumer, tell me a little bit about the experience that I would go through when I visit one of your stores. All right. So for me, the... uh, It really comes down to the values that we express in our our and our, our company and uh, one of the key values that we have is this idea of respect all riders and so when we talk about the experience in our store we we talk very openly in our business about the idea that if somebody crosses the threshold of our business then uh, they have expressed an interest in in riding in in some form and if if they're interested in riding then we have something in common and, and something to to share and so when a guest you know visits any of our locations we spend a lot of time working with them to, to try and understand not just what they ride, but why they ride. And if we can understand why a customer is riding, what their motivations are, then kind of our team is much better equipped to help them kind of have a, have a better ride experience, to be able to look to the future, to be able to kind of provide them with a solution that kind of allows them to, to grow within cycling and allows them to get the, the most out of it. I think what we've found in our business is, is people very rarely ride a bike for the sake of riding a bike. There's usually some other motivation. And whether that motivation is 
to be able to spend time with their family, to be able to spend time with their friends, to be able to to get some exercise and drink some beer after it. There's rarely uh, rarely is riding a bike just for the sake of riding a bike. So if we can connect with people on on the on the why, then helping them to equip them with the what is a really easy uh, proposition. I really like that idea of there being an internal need or desire that's outside of a product that's outside of a SKU or a UPC that riding with family, that's the internal need. Let's get them a product mm-hmm. in their hand that allows them to do it. I, I really do love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think about experience as well. You know, that's really, you know, when I first started riding, I was about 60 pounds heavier at the time. And kind of my initial motivation was to, to be able to, to look for something to get back into some semblance of shape. But as my own relationships with bikes has, has evolved, I, I became a very passionate mountain biker and, and competitive racer. And now the best riding that I do is, is with my kids. So I think that's one of the things that we try and do with, with all of our customers is understand not just what their needs are today, but how those needs evolve and change and, and how bikes can be part of that solution. So when when you guys opened Roll Bicycles, I'm assuming, and, and maybe you've already touched on it a little bit, but you saw an opportunity, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. So what was the, the the specialty bike retail market like in Columbus, Ohio, and, and what was the specific opportunity that you saw? So Columbus, Ohio is very much like many cities across the U.S. It was a, a city from a bike retail standpoint that really addressed two needs. It, it did a good job of serving the enthusiast who kind of knew the secret handshake and the code to be able to get great service walking into into the store. And, and it did a, a pretty kind of poor job of inspiring people to ride in, and to get into cycling. It was dominated by a, a couple of kind of older kind of local chains. So the, the opportunity that, that we saw was how do we shake that up and how do we build on the experiences that customers have outside of the bike channel and how do we look at experiences that, that people have in clothing and automotive and electronics and coffee and leisure? And uh, how do we create some of the excitement that exists in other retail categories in the, in the bike business? And, and if we do that, can we really fulfill our mission, which is more people riding more bikes for more reasons more often? Um, it's a fundamental belief that bikes change lives for us. And and so what we wanted to be able to do was to be able to present bikes in a more compelling way to a broader cross-section of people than we're waking up in the morning and, and thinking about walking into a bike store. So are there, you mentioned you look, you're looking outside of the bike industry at other retailers. There's some specific examples that you've, of things that other retailers are doing that you've brought into Roll Bicycles? Yeah, you know, I think, and that continues to change as, as, as our company continues to, to change and evolve. I think maybe the... the the biggest trend that we see you know, right now, which is really driving the revolution in our business, is the idea of personalization and, and mass customization for customers. You know, if, if I can get my coffee exactly how I like it and pay $2, it doesn't compute for a lot of customers that um, they can have any, any bike that they like as long as it's, as long as it's the one on the floor and, the, and, it's, and that's the only color. Um, so being able to really have developed our experience in-store and through now through the, the launch of Roll Bicycle Company to be able to provide a, a fully kind of customized and personalized experience for customers has been key for us. And so it's, and it's new for many customers who are used to having those experiences, say whether it's buying tennis shoes or cars or coffee, and to be able to introduce that at a, at a very kind of value-driven level in, in the bike 
store has been been just a, a ton of fun, and we've we've learned a lot from it, and both in answering a, a customer need initially, but then also we've learned a ton from being able to work with other retail partners who we work with also in the, in the sale of roll bikes. So what are a couple opportunities that, that you've seen that you've taken advantage of and, and how have you kind of navigated that? I mean, have you, do you guys have an internal process where you say, hey, here's an opportunity, you run it up the, the chain of command or, or maybe you run it down to the troops and, and you talk about it and you, you make your vision board or anything like that or talk to that a little bit about some of the opportunities that you've seen out there and you've addressed. You know, it's really a two-part question. I think maybe the first one was kind of what's our process. And and there's the answer to that is that there's a very practical process, which is over the last uh, couple of years, we've intru- introduced a system called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System into our business, um, which is uh, the foundation of which is a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And that has really provided us with a great deal of underlying operating structure in our business that allows great ideas to surface and opportunities to surface um, through regular communication, not just with our store team, but, but in our leadership team. So for anybody that is kind of maybe struggling with, with how to manage the, the day-to-day, it's a great system and a, and a very easy read that I would, I would heartily recommend. In terms of you know, specific opportunities, we've always and I've always tried to to look at things from the consumer lens and through the customer lens and that's really the first avenue that we look at is there something kind of out that we could be doing that would improve the customer's experience and improve the customer's purchase and and so early on for us one of those very specific opportunities was the idea of fit and how can we introduce a a professional level of fit not just um, for the person buying the $5,000 road bike, but how do we get that same quality of, of fit and experience to somebody that's buying a, a four or $500 hybrid bike? So fit was an opportunity that we saw and, and have continued to lean into to heavily in our business and making sure that customers have the best cycling experience. Now that translates for us kind of very simply that customers have a great ride. I think all too often we've seen customers who perhaps have been uh, nervous about committing to, to visiting a traditional bike store and maybe bought a mass merchant or specially sporting goods, riding bikes that don't fit them correctly, and then they, they ride it once or twice, it hurts, they stop doing it, and their affair or their love for, for biking uh, dissipates quickly. So, so we saw, saw fit as an opportunity to, to really keep people engaged and excited about riding. What are some of the other opportunities that you see out there currently that maybe you haven't acted on yet or maybe something you're you're curious about or maybe your staff have brought up that you're you're looking into? No clues. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know, it's, it's the other day, Chad, I think this is an incredibly exciting time in the bike industry. And I'm, I don't kind of share the same doom and gloom that, that kind of persists in, in, in some corners of the industry. We're in a, we're in a period of absolutely immense and rapid change and i think it's easy to look at the uh the figures around brick and mortar retail and try and kind of overread the tea leaves what's really happening in my mind is the way that customers shop and the way that customers interact with brands is changing and ultimately that's what drives retail and that's what drives how we should respond as brands very specifically, what that means to, to us, and it's one of the observations that we have, is that as commodity goods become more and more 
available and cheaper and cheaper online, customers are actively looking for a reason to leave the house. And if you're going to leave the house, then then kind of what is it that customers want to be able to find? And so this this trend towards more localized retail and stores and brands that respond to and service people in their local communities and on their local high street and uh, with a very clear connection into those communities, but also a very clearly curated set of brands and products and services for those communities are really thriving and, and prospering. So making sure that in our development as a retailer, we never lose sight of our local roots is something that occupies a lot of our conversation, a lot of our thoughts moving forward. Great. So background in in marketing, I guess you're keenly aware of how retailers market themselves. What are some mistakes that retailers are making today or you know what's what's the opportunity for them in the, in their marketing? I think trying to be all things to all people is really the biggest mistake that we make. Just the idea of talking about bike as a single kind of dimension or a single um, category is is really tough. I think we where we see most success is where of marketing and, and whether retailers and, and brands are very clear about the products and services they offer and who they're directed for, who they who they best serve. And so using that kind of insight to narrow focus and to inspire and to help customers seek out their brand rather than trying to scorch the earth. Do you think that's you know in in some of the markets further north do you think that's possible when, you know, I'm up in South Dakota and it's, we've got a very short season and it's kind of a, most of the retailers, they try and be all things to all people just to keep their doors, their doors open in the summer, just because there's not the density in, in some of the larger cities in the Southern part of the States. You think that's, a, is that a danger to their own brand? Sure. And, you know, and so I think it's, you know, it's a responsibility, I think, of of every business to make sure that they are serving a broad range of customers. And, and being able to, to service a broad range of customers is a little bit different from being all things to all people. I think when we talk specifically about marketing, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable and, and desirable for, for a, a store to be able to build a marketing campaign around a very particular niche or a very particular experience is just one of many different experiences. And I think maybe when you when you look at Northern markets, it becomes even more kind of critical as you're able to address seasonality and and the type of riding that happens in in spring is very different from the type of riding that happens in fall and winter. And so how do you build your marketing campaign and how do you build your connections with, with, with customers around those very specific seasons, knowing full well also that many of those customers couldn't be the same person in spring and in and in fall, but just have very different needs and, and respond to a very different message. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about Amazon for a second. You read the news in the retail side of things, it's like almost like Amazon can do no wrong. But what what are some things that Amazon can't do that retailers can? You know, it's a particularly a hot topic this week as uh, as you'll have seen in the press as Nike pulls out of Amazon, and I think that's a, a good indicator for me about what Amazon continues to struggle with, which is how do you provide value beyond price, and and how do you provide kind of a connection or an affinity or, uh, with a with a culture that speaks to more than just price and and, and convenience. And uh, 
I think we see a lot of successful retailers in our category and in, and in bikes that aren't swayed solely by price, um, but are doing a lot to build an increasingly deep commitment and relationship with the customer at a local level. You know, Amazon is, is never going to go away. And I would challenge anybody kind of on this, uh, certainly on this call and maybe who's, who's listening in that hasn't shopped with Amazon. We all have and we all do it and we all find value in it. So it's up to us to, to look for ways in which we can add value in our own stores and in our own brands that continue to, to allow us to thrive as a business. And, and I believe that that personal connection with customers is a key part to that. And there are great tools and great technology that allow us as retailers to maintain those personal relationships in a way that, that is, is both kind of efficient and compelling and, and, and rewarding for customers. What are some of those, those tools or the technology that help us connect with customers better? I mean, is it beyond social media, beyond an email address? It is. So, you, can you look at um, CRM systems? So we use a system in our business called Clavio. And which because is really just wonderful integration with Shopify, which our e-com platform is built on, and Lightspeed, which we operate our stores on. And so what a, what a, a system like Clavio allows us to do, and, and similarly MailChimp, albeit in a slightly more edited version, but um, it allows us to, to track kind of a customer's interactions and behaviors in our stores and then present them with, with kind of new and relevant information and invitations Kind of in the future, so it could be something as, as simple as as reminders after a year that an annual service is due to being able to track a customer and uh, who has either purchased or expressed an interest in gravel riding, and then being able to make sure that we automatically invite them to the events and the rides and the and the lectures that we do in store around those categories. So, kind of using those those tools and those automations takes a lot of onus off the individual store owner. I think there's, it can feel overwhelming when you sit down and, and think about all the things you could, would, and should be doing. But using tools like a great CRM system really allow you to automate a lot of that stuff and, and, and get back to what you, you love doing the most. And I imagine there's obviously staff training that goes along with that. And so when, you know, if I work for you and I, I engage with a customer, maybe they do or don't buy a bike, what's the process like after that, that interaction? Is it sitting down at a computer, entering some, some data? What does that look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? If a customer, is the question if a customer is elected not to buy a bike with us? Or they have or have not. Either, either way, I'm guessing there's some data you're going to collect or some, some notes you're going to take. Yeah, so the great thing about Clavio is, is it directly connects to Lightspeed. So if we do our job in collecting all the correct customer information uh, when, they, uh, when they purchase from us, then that allows us to set a series of automated flows, which, uh, and we've got seven or eight automated flows in our um, system, depending on whether somebody buys a bike, whether somebody services a bike, the type of bike that they buy. And so I'll use kids' bikes as an example. One of the things that we do in our stores is a kids' bike trade-up program. Well, within uh, two years of purchase, a parent can bring that bike back and we will uh, uh, give them a credit for 50% of the, the original cost of that bike. And they can use that credit to upgrade to the next size. Now, by being able to track those sales, we're able to set up an automated kind of reminder to, to us and to them that, you know, hey, it's been a year and a half or, or 18 months or 20 months. You're starting to 
to come up against that, that trading deadline. I'm sure little Johnny or little Jenny have grown at this point. And so it, it allows us to, to remind a customer about the great value that we offer in that program. So and that's, uh, I think, a very key and clear example where we see a, a lot of very positive customer feedback. And, and are those those reminders, do you, have, do you have staff calling? Do you have, is it an email? Is it a text? It's an entirely automated email. So it's a template-based email. That when a customer buys a kid's bike from us, the day one, the clock starts ticking. So the first reminder that they'll get is after a week, just checking in, making sure that, that everything's going fine with the bike. Are there any adjustments that we need to make? Can we help adjust helmet, et cetera? And just really inviting the customer back to be able to continue to use our store and our staff as a favored resource to make sure that they're getting the most out of that ride. We have a similar check-in after three months. We have a similar check-in with a slightly different content after six months about how to how to ride to the next level and tips about how to ride as a family. After a year, then the, the customer will get an, an email just reminding them that there is the opportunity for a service and promotion that comes with the bike and, and so on and so forth. So say so just being, uh, I think what, what really is, is key, however, is using the technology to best serve the customer. Kind of the, uh, what we've found, and we joke a lot in our business, we've got so much technology in our business, it's like trying to learn to fly a spaceship. And it's not until we sit down and really kind of craft out, well, at, at what points should we talk to a customer and can we add value? And, and once you, you chart that out over the course of, of a relationship, then it's, it's pretty easy to map out. That, that's actually, being a technology person, I, that's exciting. And I, I think in our, I've often felt that in, in the, the bike industry, we've kind of maybe left technology a little bit behind over the past 10 years. And now it's, it's like a rubber band and it's snapping back. And we've got, you know, on the, on the accessory side, we've got power meters, we've got, you know, bike computers, obviously, and GPS units. And then the bike side, obviously, e-bikes. But now the, the technology is, is catching up in our stores with better point of sale, better metrics, and, and that CRM. And I get excited about that. And I, I think that is, it's great to see that retailers are picking that up and, and using it to their advantage and being able to compete on a, you know, kind of a, a the next level and, and offering a, a level of professionalism. I think that's awesome. I can't remember a more exciting time when you, I mean, you reeled off five or six things there, but you look at connected smart trainers, you look at uh, e-bikes and, and it, it really feels for the first time I get a sense in our industry that the, the, the Luddite mentality that perhaps existed five or six years ago is, is disappearing pretty quick. And the, the progressive kind of retailers in, in our landscape are leaning into technology and are excited about what it can provide for their customer and, and less afraid of, of e-commerce and more willing to embrace technology as a part of the experience that they provide customers. Yeah, exciting times. So in the next 10 years, anything that, that you see that, that may be a, a big opportunity coming up, you know, whether it's, you know, with obviously e-bikes is going to be the big one. Bike shares, maybe dockless bike shares, maybe come and gone. What, what are some of the things that, that you see coming up? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's quite a big crystal ball. Crystal ball, out. yeah, crystal yeah. ball. I think there are clearly some trends in e-bikes and bike share that I think speak to of people moving different cities and in the communities in which they live. Uh, 
for bikes and, and, and our academies. And interesting to me, there are some of the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of people feeling a much greater sense of connection and place to their local environment and local community. And I think we're seeing that reflected in, uh, seeing in, in those trends. So that's something we're interested to, to continue to, to explore. When I think about continue to our business, I think we lost you. Specifically, I think maybe the, the, the biggest thrill for me in the last uh, months has been as we've expanded that because there's a knowledge sharing that has happened and, and continues to happen, which is pretty thrilling. And I think when we look at a at a time where where there's there's maybe a, a little bit of fear, we see a lot of the major manufacturers who are who are clamoring right now to, to secure floor space and secure open to buy and, and to, to look to how to best connect kind of directly with customers. There's a little bit of trepidation, I think, in the industry kind of surrounding those issues. So it's been it's been just a whole ton of fun for me to to connect with I and mean, we're at 60 retail partners now. So 60 other smart, independent, kind of committed kind of business owners and start to talk through and tackle and and address the, the challenges and opportunities ahead. And 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 for our business I see only growth in, in that area is how do we continue to connect with and, and to unite people who share the common values and just share the passion for for getting people riding riding more bikes for, for all the right reasons. Sharing information, I, I really have tried to stay away from referring to specialty retailers as IBD as being these independent island stores with you know with a huge ocean around them and you're slowly seeing more and more retailers connect with other retailers, share ideas. We have our the NBDA has our own our own P2 program, which does that. And being a part of that, it's exciting to see, you know, oh, these guys over in Boston are doing this and we didn't think it could happen, but they're doing it and they're having success. Let's connect with them and see how they do it. And let's maybe it's not working for them and it's it's talking about it and tweaking those those programs or those services so that they're profitable. I think the sharing of that information is is uh, very important to to specialty retail, whether it's bikes or skis or anything. Thanks for bringing that up. I, that's I think it's incredibly important. I mean, there's, there's some very specific ones. I think one specific example. So we we've seen the service business in our stores grow 30% this year, which has been incredible. And and one of the key factors in that was a conversation I had with another retailer. When we were looking at how do we reimagine our, our service packages, and and we used to call our, our service packages level one, level two, and level three, and, and they were X dollars and Y dollars and Z dollars, and they made all the sense in the world to us. And I was chatting with a retailer, and they said, "Oh, I, I call mine basic annual an overhaul." And the message clicked to me because all of a sudden there it was much clearer language for customers. The net result of that is what we've seen is is a, a massive increase in the number of people that, that self-selected and upgraded themselves from a basic tune-up to an annual overhaul because they recognize the idea that this should probably be done once a year. Rather than default into a level one, people were, were actively looking to, to upgrade themselves to, to what used to be called a level two. It is now an annual tune-up. So just, just that little conversation alone with another retailer has had a dramatic effect on the profitability of our service department. That's great to hear. And and that's and I've heard those conversations too about you know all sorts of different facets in in within the bike industry whether it's whether it's fitting, whether it's you know the tune-ups like you say or even just the the product offerings in our store uh, and how we 
how we market them. So for a retailer that's maybe a little, that maybe is lacking some experience, maybe a smaller retail, where can they learn about, you know, maybe some, some better marketing tips and, you know, are there some, some good resources online, some books, some, maybe some people that have podcasts or anything like that? Is, is there any good resources for that? There is. I think one of the things that has that I would advocate is getting involved in the local business community and whether that's through the local chamber of commerce or kind of one of the, the organizations that I'm involved in personally is a, is a group called Vistage, which is a CEO peer-to-peer group. Uh, which uh, So we have a, a group of, of peers from, from different industries. We, we meet on a monthly basis and to, to share ideas and to, and to process kind of issues or challenges in each other's business. And just just having that outside perspective has been, I think, fundamental to our ability to grow role and for my own education and and, and personal and, and professional development. So I'm a, I'm a huge believer in in being part of peer groups and, and the MBDA programs are great examples of, of those. But say for a newer retailer or a, or a retailer, that's uh, perhaps smaller and looking to grow, then then look for those opportunities locally. There, there is nothing better than I think sitting in a room with somebody that has either more experience or a different perspective than than you have. And so the more you can open yourself up to those you know, opportunities, the the better. And then use that to help direct and, and to guide the online resources and tools and, and tips and, and tricks. There's, there's a wealth of knowledge out there, but I, I feel that those personal connections are really the the best foundation to start from. Do you have a, you know, you mentioned Vistage through that or through other networks. Do you have a, a mentor that you meet with regularly? I do. Yeah, I have a, I have a mentor from within the Vistage opportunity, uh, Vistage organization. I also have a, a, a personal coach that I work with, a professional development coach that I work with. So I'm a big believer in lifelong learning, and continue to to really pursue that. Um, part for, for us and really there's, there's, uh, that pursuit of knowledge is, is really one of the things that has me as, as thrilled as I am kind of right now about hanging, getting to hang out with kind of other smart folks in the industry as we, as we grow our company. Yeah, and there's always that, the saying about hiring someone smarter than you, which always definitely helps our, our specialty retailers as well. You know, I just hired a COO for our business who's taken over the day-to-day across all our stores and, and the bike company and uh, and uh, that could not be truer of Ryan that uh, is, is smarter and more capable than I'll ever be. And so it's, it's, it's a thrill to be able to bring somebody into the organization like that and to watch them flourish. So you, you brought up your bike company, Roll Bicycles. How did that start? I mean, where was, was it that uh, there wasn't enough other brands to choose from or the brands weren't offering you know, what you needed? What, what was the opportunity that you saw there with your bike brand? So we saw it first in our in our own stores, and it was really it was a reaction to customers. We saw certainly a lot of excitement in our stores, but also a lot of customers that were just looking for more choice and a greater level of personalization. And um, because kind of their experience at retail, as I said, was, you know it's shaped by buying tennis shoes, which can be personalized, or clothing, or or coffee, or cars, or or technology. And so we began to 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 not just and suspect, but to, to actively see customers in our stores asking for that level of, of uh, just personalization, which I think is different from something like Project One or, or a technical specification. It was uh, people looking to be able to express themselves. 
And so that's really where we, when the, the idea that came to, to start to explore, well, this is something that we can do to, to provide that experience. The flip side of that, we also saw from a business standpoint that in order for us to, to look to, to thrive and survive in the future, we look to have more control over our own destiny from a product and an assortment and from a, from a pricing standpoint. So we had uh, kind of both a customer need and a, and a business need come together that, that that was the tipping point for us and for me to start to develop the, the Roll Bicycle company program. And so we've been up and running for about three seasons now. Uh, the first season was, was a real roller coaster and it, and it, was, it was very unknown. Um, for us. So we were selling primarily in our own stores and online. And it was our chance to see whether we were right and whether we had a product that people were excited about and a product that people loved and whether we were able to connect with them over our bikes. And and we did. And, and we had a lot of uh, a lot of learning, a lot of hard lessons, but kind of a good deal of, of, of success, foundational success in the first year. By last season, we'd started to get phone calls from other retailers who, who had kind of noticed what we were doing and, and friends and colleagues in the industry that were excited and intrigued by it. And so while we'd never set out to necessarily um, build a, a retail partner network, we started to work with other retailers and, and started to find success there as well. So this year is, is really the first year that we've started to look to grow our retail partner network in order to be able to share our bikes through a, through a, a broader channel and it's again not without its challenges we have um, some some fantastic successes some hits and, and and some misses that we're working to to overcome now but but the, the business continues to grow and uh, and, it, and it's a really gratifying and satisfying kind of area for us the bikes are great looking I'll, I'll i'll be honest you can check those bikes out at rollbicycles.com and you can learn a little bit more about the Royal Bicycle stores, and they're on Facebook as well. But yeah, impressive looking bikes. The amount of orange is what appeals to me probably more than anything. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it's a pretty cool orange. All of our colors are vintage Porsche racing colors, which not a lot of people know. So it's I uh, didn't know that. really, really uh, it, it's fun. As a designer by background, it, kind of the challenge for me was to how do we create something that that looks as cool as my. Uh, a race rig and and rides as well as that and uh, it's just beautiful and low key and and something that's exciting so it, it's it's been a tons of fun we we find that uh, we get two types of customers that really are thrilled by our bikes it, and it's so it's either the customer where it might be their only bike and they really love the personalization aspect of it but on the other end we get guys like like kind of you and i and and, and many other people can listen in here who, who would call themselves an enthusiast and, and uh, they know what a great ride in a looking bike feels like and they've probably got a 10-speed kind of derailleur sitting in a parts store at home that they'll throw on this thing or an old white industries crank and and so our bikes are designed for that that home um, franken bike version and uh, and so it's been it's been tons of fun well Stuart, our, our time has come to an end and i want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to talk with us the book that Stuart talked about earlier was traction by gino wickman and there's certainly a lot of other podcasts that we've done and webinars, but I want to thank you, Stuart, for showing up and appreciate the time that you gave us today. That's awesome, Chair. It's been really great to chat to you. And I know you share some of the same enthusiasm for what's going on out there. And, and I do. Uh, it's always fun to connect with people. All righty. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.